The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. This morning, as we go through His Word, um, I think one of the most incredible things that I have discovered in my walk with God is the way that God took somebody that was very broken and somebody that was absolutely a useless individual and he made him into something and there's a saying that says that God is able to take earthly zeros and make them into heavenly heroes. Amen. God has a purpose for you because God sees you as valuable. Amen. That's why Jesus died on the cross for you so that you could be in heaven with Him one day. You know I mean, we often focus on us as just sinners. Yes, we are sinners. But God died for us on the cross so that we could be redeemed that we could be saved, that we could be His children. Are you with me? Very important. And some people just walk their entire lives with a burden of sin on their shoulders. I am forgiven, but I'm just this miserable sinner. No. I am a son of God. And we need to understand that. Because it will help us in our walk with God. It will help us in our testifying about God. Because it gives us confidence that God loves us. <coughs> our scripture today is found in John 1.42. In the first meeting of Simon Peter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Andrew, his brother had met the Messiah and he went and he called his brother and he brought him to Jesus. And it's significant how this meeting went down and what Jesus said to Simon at that particular meeting that's important. But the scripture says this, and he brought him to Jesus, John 1.42, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone or a rock. <coughs> There's a story about Michelangelo, the great Italian sculptor, that found a cast aside, mishappened piece of marble, and he took up a hammer and a chisel and he started pounding on it and chips were flying and somebody walked up to him and he said what are you doing he said there is an angel inside this rock and i want to release him so maybe none of us can be called an angel but the person that you are is imprisoned in the stony nature of who you are as a sinner. And God wants to release you or release us because of His great love and turn us into something and somebody that He can use for His glory. Amen. So, his grace and power while preserving your freedom will uncover and produce the possible you. There are some people who sit in the church and say, oh, I can't be an elder because. Some people say, I can't be a deacon because. Some people say, I can't do evangelism because. Because of what? God wants to release us. Let's pray and ask God to reveal Himself to us. 
as individuals today. I think God wants to speak to us as individuals because He sees the potential within us. And I think He wants to crack the veneer of the old church where it's a specific group of people in the church that do the work of the ministry. No, we all to be equipped by the Spirit of God and by the leaders in the church to become what God wants us to become so that He can use us. God is not in favor of few potatoes. And many people have become few potatoes because they had the wrong idea of church. <coughs> and many years ago when the church was spreading like wildfire from the early church times, the devil came up with this whole thing of lady and clergy. The clergy were the ones equipped to do all of the work. And the laity were there just to support him in prayer and to give money and, and not become that involved in what God was doing in the earth. And yet God doesn't want that for us as his church. He wants us to be involved, all of us to be involved. Because he wants us in Ephesians 4, it says that that all that list of leaders there, apostles, prophets, um, evangelists, pastors, teachers, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You are to be involved. Because that's maturity. If we're just sitting back in the church and we're not involved, you're not mature. You're still a baby. Are you with me? Sounds a little bit harsh, but you can be a 70-year-old faithful church member for 60 years doing nothing in the church and you are a big baby. Are you with me? And then you get a 21-year-old that's on fire for God, learning about God, sharing about God, and he's more mature spiritually. So age can make a difference in spiritual maturity, but it's not necessarily so. It's those who are obedient to the Spirit of God as He would lead them in their lives. Are you with me? We shall see. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we love you. <laughs> we praise you. We exalt you today and we really trust you that you would speak to us through the life of Simon and, the, and, and just the principles that we learn from this passage would challenge us and speak to us Lord to totally trust you uh, and allow you to have your way in our lives so we commit that to you and we just thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so, <coughs> so, when we look at the life of Peter, we see that God called Peter and that he had a specific plan for Peter's life. And, and we see how God worked in the life of Peter. And Peter is probably one of the most beloved characters in Scripture. And he's probably one of those characters in the Scripture that we can identify with as people. Because we see that he made mistakes, he put his foot uh, in things, he said things um, that he shouldn't have said, he did things that he shouldn't have done. And so, for sheer uh, variety, for contradiction of personality, for mixture of saint and sinner in one person, the story of Peter is unbeatable. And we can identify with him as a person. So, when he met Jesus, the Bible says that when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone 
So from this verse we can see how Jesus sees people, how he sees you as an individual. Because he was talking to an individual here. And we need to understand. <coughs> Excuse me. So the first thing that we see is that he looked at Simon with double optic vision. So when Jesus looks at me or you, he looks at, at us with double optic vision. Now, some of you wear glasses and you have double optic vision. So, for, and if you didn't have it, you wouldn't see clearly, if your eyesight was that bad, you wouldn't see clearly right in front of you, and you wouldn't see clearly at a distance, right? So, when Jesus saw Peter, that for the very first time he looked at him bifocally. Okay, so he saw not one person, but two. And so when Jesus looked at Simon at their first encounter, he saw two people. First he saw Simon as he was. Amen. So when we come to Christ, he sees us as we are. We are sinners in need of salvation, right? And we are, and often even as disciples, when we come to Christ in the beginning, he sees us as we are. And he wants to change that and make it into something greater. So he saw Simon as the real man existing. He saw a fisherman that would probably have cursed, probably had a temper. He saw he was weak, unstable, probably undependable. Uh, the brother of uh, Simon who was opposite to Peter, who was uh, a very dependable at that stage. So he saw a, a man of hot rash and impulsive nature and probably with some poetic license Peter would have said, Lord change me. Lord make me into the man that you want me to be. But when Jesus first saw Peter he wasn't the man that he wanted him to be. He wasn't the man that we see at Pentecost. He wasn't the man that wrote the books first and to Peter. He wasn't the man that was able to stand up to the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and not care for his life, but care for his Lord and Savior. He wasn't that man. And most of us, when we come to Christ, are not that person. We have lots of issues. I know that when I came to Christ, I had lots of issues. So, <coughs> so, so Jesus also saw Simon as he could be. Are you with me on that? When Jesus met Simon, do you think he didn't have Pentecost in mind? Do you think that that sermon where 3,000 wasn't already in his heart and his mind? Of course it was. That's why he called him. And it doesn't matter what position God calls us to be in the church. He sees us as somebody that can serve. Somebody that can be useful. Somebody that can be a blessing. And of course there will be people with greater gifts and abilities than ourselves. But that doesn't make a difference. God sees the potential in you and me. Amen. So he, God, Jesus saw what God's grace would make out of Simon. And the two men, what Simon was and what Simon could be, were so different that they required a different name. So looking at this man as he was, Jesus said, Thou art Simon. Looking at him as he could become, he said, Thou shalt be called Cephas, a rock. And every time Jesus looks at a person, he sees not one person, but two. Amen. He looked at Simon and he saw Peter. He looked at Saul of Tarsus and he saw Paul the Apostle. He looked at Jacob, the liar and cheat, and he saw Israel, Prince, with God. And when he looks at you and me, 
He sees two people, the one that I am and the one that he can make me. Amen. God is in the business of changing us and making us more Christ-like. And that must have an impact on our lives. Are you with me? We need to cooperate. <laughs> Ralph Waldo Emerson, a famous poet, said, If in a vision you could see yourself as the person God meant, you could never be more the person you are content. So when we allow God to reveal Himself and to work in our lives and to change us, it brings a contentment in our lives. But when we resist God, then there's always discontent in our hearts and in our minds. <coughs> so ask God what He sees in you. Ask God what He sees in people that you are discipling. Amen. Often we just see the faults in people and we're constantly trying to correct the faults instead of seeing what people can become. And if we focus on faults, we tend to make people downcast, né? and we tend to make them discouraged. But when we see the potential in people, then they begin to see it in themselves and they begin to cooperate with what God is doing or with how you're working in somebody's life. Even managers today, they look at the potential of their people and not just the problems that they have in their lives. And many a successful ministry or business has started because of people seeing the potential in others. Are you with me? Like I know that I'm a sinner, but I also know that I'm saved by grace and what grace can do in my life. And yet some of us just focus on our weaknesses. And yet God has given us strength. And God has given us things that He wants to do with us. Are you with me? It's my favorite saying. Because if you're not with me, then we've got a problem. <coughs> so the second thing is when God looks at you, He looks with divine optimism. Even the optimism of Christ is a realistic optimism. You mean, if we look in the scriptures, it says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. And during his public ministry, he was called that, a friend of sinners. His enemies said, this man received sinners. And they meant it as a criticism, but for Jesus it was a compliment. Because why? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Isn't it? However, oh well, he sought close relationships with all kinds of sinners. Some of us are so scared of people that are not Christians that we don't want to fellowship with them. We don't want to be friends with them because we're just so scared of them. They swear. Well, of course they swear. They are sinners. They don't think like a Christian. Yeah, but they talk about these things. Yeah, of course they do. What else are they going to talk about? If you live in the pigsty, you talk about things in the pigsty. So you can't expect an unsaved person to be like a Christian. Because they're not. Are you with me? And yet, that's what we want. And so we avoid people. No. If Jesus did that, then some people wouldn't be in heaven today. Even if they're the elect. Because he chose all kinds of people before the foundation of the earth. Are you with me? Nasty people that came to know Christ. Like that man who wrote um, 
amazing grace. He was a slave. He was the, he was the captain of a slave ship. And he took slaves from Africa over to the Americas. And he was a terrible person. And yet God saved him. And he wrote amazing grace. Are you with me? And he helped Wilberforce in his struggle against slavery in the British Parliament. <coughs> Excuse me. So this optimism is a is a realistic optimism. But Jesus cultivated the friendship of sinners, me and you, so that he could save us. Because he thought we were worth saving. Are you with me on that? Why did he die on the cross for you if you weren't worth saving? If he didn't want to save you? Because he loved you. Don't let anybody tell you it's different. He loved you. And he chose you. Because you were worth saving. That's why he died on the cross. And yet some people will say, no. They struggle with it. Now you may see yourself as hopeless, but Jesus doesn't. So his thoughts and hopes and plans for you reach as high as the stars. If I put my testimony in here, I was really a useless individual. And yet I've gone all over the place preaching the gospel, seeing churches planted, seeing lives changed, seeing marriages transformed in cultures where, where, where men really dominated women and all of these things and I'm just going like wow and I just stand amazed at my own testimony because God saw something and he sees that in each of us there's no place to boast or to brag but it's like we brag in God because he saved us for a purpose amen not just to sit in church, but to be involved in the body. So that people will know by our love for one another that He is the Lord and Savior. Amen. But it's when we're not involved, that's when people look at the church and say, but you're just like us. You're just caught up in your own life, in your own agenda. Are you with me? spoke at the Bible study the other night and if you mentioned uh, the favorite verse in Jeremiah <coughs> excuse me it's in uh, Jeremiah 29 and I know the plans I have for you well it's true God had a plan for his people they were in exile and he told them to build houses and to plant crops and he would bless them in a difficult place and we do live in a difficult place life is not easy life is not fair we live amongst people that don't love God we have a constitution that makes room for all kinds of evil things and calls it right when it's wrong in the eyes of God we live in a difficult world and yet in that place God has plans for us to bless us and to use us. Amen. And so we need to allow this optimism, this realistic optimism, this optimism that's not blind-eyed. Because Jesus, the word said, beheld him and it literally means he looked into him. Describing the gaze that sees the individuals through and through. And read your character like an open book. We can't hide from God. Amen. Sometimes we think. If we don't say anything. But God is aware. 
of everything that happens in our lives. So Jesus looks at us with an x-ray vision. He looks into your heart. He sees the prejudice. He sees the unforgiveness. He sees the bitterness. He wants to deal with it. He sees the lack of commitment. He wants to deal with it. Because He wants to use you. He wants to transform you. Amen. I can't think of any greater joy than to be used by God. No money. I mean, I always say I've lived a rich person's life without being rich. I've traveled the world. I've done things that only rich people do because God has opened a door for me. Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen to everybody, but he's definitely, because I've been obedient and I've wanted to follow him and do what he wants, he's definitely taken me beyond where I could ever have reached. And that's just amazing. To me, to my family, my daughter says, Dad, your life is a... A life that people need to write books about. I don't see it. I'm just seeing it as I'm walking with God. Amen. And we just need to walk with God. So Jesus looks in and he sees us. And in John 2 verse 25, Jesus, it says that Jesus needed not anyone to testify to him about man, for he knew what was in man. So nothing is hidden or secret from him. All of the sin and shame you think is hidden lays naked and open to the eyes of Jesus searching and penetrating gaze. So nobody knows as much about human nature as Jesus does. I, I, I love in uh, Luke 5, Jesus is preaching from the boat of Simon and then he turns to Simon he says go out to the deep cast your nets and you will catch a fish now we all think that we are experts on our own lives Simon could have said I am a fisherman I have been out all night you don't understand my profession. You don't understand the things that I work through, that I'm going through. This is my life. You are not the expert. You are a carpenter. They would have known who Jesus was. <laughs> and you could have said, well, Lord, I'm tired. I've been fishing all night. I'm cleaning my net so that I can go home and go to get something to eat and go to bed. Isn't that how we feel? We allow our emotions to master us. We think that we're the expert of our own lives. No. Jesus is the expert of your life. He knows exactly what you need, what you are thinking, the things that you are struggling with and he can help you and he can change your situation but we need to cooperate with him so Peter said the next best the best thing he ever said in his life but Lord at your command I will let down the nets that changed his life forever are you with me? Because then he saw himself as Jesus saw him a sinner and he acknowledged it. Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Everything starts there. Acknowledge your sin in your life to the one that knows who you are and what your life is all about. Amen. He wants to deal with stuff. <coughs> So he knew exactly the kind of person Peter was, but 
We've all heard about the black hole in outer space, right? And for many years there was people who looked at it through telescopes <coughs> and they detected no light, no star, no planet in that big dark hole. And they thought it was empty. Science thought that it was empty. And then the radio telescope was discovered, invented, and when they trained it into that black hole, they began to receive signals that there was light. That there was something there. It wasn't empty after all. It was just assumed. Because they couldn't see. They didn't have the ability. And often we look at people's lives and sometimes our own lives and we, and we say that they're empty. That there is no virtue, that there is no goodness, no possibility here. But Jesus looks at those same people and sees what they can be. Amen. When he said to Simon, thou art Simon, it is as if he said, I know all about you. I know your character and what's associated with your name. I know all what all the people say about you and much more. I know your reputation on the lake. I know all about your weaknesses. I know what is in your heart. You are Simon. But then his glorious optimism reveals. And he says, But thou shalt be called Simon, or uh, Cephas, a rock. Thou shalt be called a rock. And that changed his life. That put hope in his heart. Amen. That God saw him as something that he wanted to use and what he could be. So this optimum, optimism of Jesus is an idealistic optimism. And Jesus couldn't be anything less than idealistic and still be who he was. This unconquerable idealistic optimism at least partially explains the secret of his redeeming power because he believed in people. It was this optimism that helped to redeem and save Simon when Andrew brought him to Jesus. Simon was perhaps downcast and ready to despair. <coughs> and if you want to take it further, sometimes we call upon in the church to become involved and we say, but I can't. This may be in the hour. I've heard that horrible saying so many times. It's not my ministry. Well, how do you know? If you're not willing to trust God to step out, how do you know? If you're not allowing Him to work in your life and to take you by the hand and to lead you forward and to change you. So when Jesus looked at Simon, He saw Peter. So when, uh, okay, I went back to the previous page. Anyway, but when Andrew said, we have found the Messiah, Simon probably didn't think that this message concerned him much, but he came with him to meet him anyway. Found the Messiah, okay, that would have been something that the Jews had been looking forward to. And so he was curious. But his curiosity was what killed the cat and what changed his life forever, amen. Peter probably thought that if Jesus wanted disciples, it was surely steady, reliable men like Andrew. That he wanted a not impulsive, volatile men like himself. I remember many years ago being in, in, in youth with a mission. They had a certain kind of people that they looked for in leadership. And it was so strange. They all had like they all wore these shorts and these socks and they all had the same manner and they were all like managers but they weren't visionaries and people that were different threatened 
that kind of that kind of leadership and so they were always like putting certain people down because you weren't quite like us well God doesn't want us to look like everybody else he wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ in your person that he created you to be right And so we have preachers' sons that want to be like their dads and they end up being like their dads and they're unfulfilled. Because they're trying to be like somebody that they're not. I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like Lucas. I admire Lucas. I remember when I was young, I used to listen to Reynard Bonker. <laughs> and I thought he was the greatest evangelistic preacher I'd ever heard. And I memorized one of his messages and I preached it one day. Just like Bonka. Arms moving. Just like that gruff voice. Just like... And boy, people just responded to the gospel that night was so funny. But on my way home, it was as if the Holy Spirit was convicting me and said, are you Reynard Bonker? And I thought, no. He said, be yourself. Are you with me? And that's what God wants to raise up, is Christ in you. So that you can be yourself. <laughs> So the very first words that Jesus spoke to Simon put courage into his heart and new resolution into his soul for they were words of glorious and splendid hope. Thou art Simon, thou shalt be Peter. At that moment Peter's redemption began. Doesn't our redemption always happen at this point? When we follow the gaze of Christ and look right through what we are to become what he knows we can become. The optimism of Jesus explains his ability to save many who seemed utterly beyond saving. And yet when Jesus seeks us, there has never been a hopeless case. Not one. When Jesus met Zacchaeus, the wicked tax collector, he said, Thou art also a son of Abraham. And the little man could hardly believe his ears. Zacchaeus knew he had sold his Jewish birthright, his spiritual heritage by becoming a traitor to the hated Romans. Men called him every name in the book, cheat, liar, swindler. Because remember, he had to pay back four times as much of what he had taken. So he was obviously stealing. <clears throat> but no one had ever said this to him before. Lloyd C. Douglas describes what he thinks occurred when Jesus visited Zacchaeus. Jesus says to him in the story, a great salvation has come to your house today. And then Jesus asks him and he says, What did you see that made you desire this peace? Zacchaeus replies, Good master, I saw mirrored in your eyes the face of Zacchaeus I was meant to be. When you look into the face of Jesus, he wants to make you into the person you were meant to be. Amen. He took Simon and he made him a preacher at Pentecost. He made him a leader in the church. And he used him mightily for his glory. Amen. Think about it. Think about you and your potential. We might have the next, I don't know, John MacArthur sitting in this audience. 
We might have the next Billy Graham sitting in this audience. Who knows? Maybe not. And so it is with each of us when we look into the eyes of Jesus and see ourselves as God meant us to be. That optimism he showed in regard to others. He found Mary Magdalene in her shame and spoke to her as shalt be of forgiveness and purity. <coughs> he found Levi, a hard, greedy tax collector, and spoke to him Thou shalt be of sainthood and service. And he became Matthew. He found Saul of Tarsus, a blasphemer and a persecutor of the church, and spoke to him, Thou shalt be of grace and apostleship. And he became Paul. Man, if that doesn't stir you, I don't know what does. It should stir your heart to be more for God than you can be. Amen. Believe that, because he believed it. Man, the love of God is just amazing. So the optimism of Jesus is both realistic and idealistic. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for potential. Amen. He's made us perfect in Christ because of what he did on the cross. That's our position in Christ. Our righteousness is of Him. We are perfect. But not perfect. But we have potential. That's why sanctification needs to take place. So when God looks at us, He looks at us through the cross. When you make a mistake, He looks at you through the cross. And Jesus said, this one has been bought by the blood. Forgiven. Can you believe that your sins have been given past, present and future? <coughs> Forgiven. God doesn't hold it against you. But he will sanctify you and if you're naughty and you won't listen, he will chastise you. Because he chastises those that he loves. And you can make your life miserable until you listen. I know all about that. Because I've had a stubborn streak in me. You can ask my wife. Don't say too much. I might be in trouble. <coughs> so even as we seek to make disciples, we should also look for potential in people. And build on that potential. Because when you build on the potential, it's easier to get rid of all the garbage in your life. But if you just focus on the garbage, you just see garbage. So we must look beyond what a person is to see what they can become in the hands of God. <laughs> no person should be cemented into his present character and conduct. Some of the world's most glittering jewels do not shine when they are first discovered. If you take a diamond and you find it in the ground, it doesn't look like a diamond. It's just this ugly piece of rock until somebody starts shaping it, cutting it, shining it, and then it begins to bring forth that, the beauty that's there in it. But in the beginning, it doesn't look pretty at all. It's just a light, a rock. And that's what God does with us. <laughs> so the optimism of Jesus was realistic and idealistic because it is based on the love, grace and the power of God. It's not of ourselves. That's why we must become dependent on God and allow Him to work in our lives. And He will do what He wants us to do and we will become what He wants us to become. Amen. There's a... In John 1 verse 12, we often use this verse for soul, soul winning, but it says, As many as received Him, 
He gave the power to become the sons of God, even those who believe on His name. So let's just for a moment drop the last part of the verse and let's see the marvelous truth. As many as received Christ, to them He gave power to become. Become what He wanted us to be. What does it really mean to be a son of God? I think it's a many-faceted stone because you're saved, you've been bought by the blood, you've been accepted into the family of God, but there's much more than that because God has given gifts. He wants to use us and all of these different things. And so when we become sons of God, we have the power to become whatever it is that God has intended for us. In uh, Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 10, it talks about that we have been saved for good works. Amen. But we'll never see those good works if we don't allow God to help us to release the potential in us. We will always have excuses. God was not pleased with Moses when he kept making excuses. Are you with me? Because it's denying the ability of God to work in and through us. Amen. So, <clears throat> if we are ever to become what He wants us to be, we must have the power to become, and that power comes when we've received Jesus. Amen. Because we must receive Him into the place of absolute authority that He desires and deserves in our lives. Amen. And then thirdly, we have Jesus as a definite objective in mind for each of us. Okay. So is there a purpose in this objective? Yeah. Yeah. He wants primarily to conform us to the image of Christ. Amen. So that's God's plan, that we become more and more like Jesus, Romans 8.29. So He wants us to be like Him. So, if you read carefully through the Gospels, and you notice and follow the history and the progression of Simon, you will see that initially Simon acted almost completely out of his Simon nature and seldom out of his Cephas nature. And when he does not act in the Cephas nature, then Jesus calls him Simon. Then later you see it shifting backwards and forwards, Simon Peter. So he's like between the two. Simon in the flesh, Peter in the spirit. <coughs> Until eventually he's known as Simon, as, as, as Cephas. And people, uh, Jesus can do the same in us, because that's the walk that we have. In 1 John 2, it talks about fathers that know Christ. And it, mentioned it, it mentions it twice. And I think it's just uh, worth reading, I guess. But this is almost like a progression that God takes us through <coughs> in our walk with Him. He says, I want you, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven. <coughs> 
for his namesake. So the first thing we do when we become Christians, we need to understand forgiveness. Because that means I'm reconciled to God, right? I need to understand it. And some people live in condemnation because they don't understand. They don't understand what forgiveness means that we spoke about earlier. He's, then he says, I write to you fathers because you have known him from the beginning. You can get to a place where you know God. You know him. You know him because of the scriptures and you know him intuitively because of the spirit living within you. And you have this, I don't know, almost relaxed relationship with God because you know him. You know what he expects, you know his ways, you know what he wants and so on. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. And so there needs to be a place of overcoming. I write to you little children because you've known the Father. <laughs> Many people don't understand the love of God, the Father. I remember many years ago I was praying and this thought came to my mind. I would say God spoke to me but some people don't like it. So I'll say this thought came to my mind. And the thought was this. Do you know my love for you as Father? I thought, well, Holy Spirit, I know, He works in my life, He convicts me, which happened quite a lot back then, about stuff. I said, uh, I know Jesus loves me because He died on the cross for me, but I don't know the Father. And God began to reveal Himself to me. And I became steadfast in the love of the Father for me. Whether it's in Jesus, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, it doesn't matter. But, but for me it made, a, it made a difference in my walk with God because I began to understand God's love for me as Father. And some people never do. They're always like gunshot. It's like they always think they're doing something wrong. They're always scared to blow it. They're always scared to make a mistake and they won't step out. But when you know the love of God, the Father for you, you're secure. And you begin to step out in faith and trust because you know who's got your back. Are you with me? Anyway, so God wants to make us more like Christ. And the determining factor is your obedience. I mean, obey. Love and obey. There is no other way. Amen. Doesn't matter what we think, you, obedience is key in our relationship with God. Is regardless of how he leads you, accept his will and, and obey. And it will make a difference in your life. And give him, so give him your life daily and see what happens. And then <clears throat> the second thing in God's purpose for you is Christ wants to use you to fulfill his plan. God wants to use us to minister to people. Acts 1.8 And you will be my witnesses. I don't know what it is about people, but my primary thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be a witness. I don't care about the miracles. I don't care about all of these other things. That's not... I'm the witness. You will be my witnesses. Listen, it's, it's individuals that are witnesses in the marketplace, at work, at home, amongst the family. <laughs> and however that you live that out is important. Like I told one of my family members long ago on Jenny's side, the husband to her sister, we were talking about God and I said to him, Pal, the way that you're living your life right now, you are going to hell. 
wife came to me later and said, who are you to tell my husband to go? And I said, well, the way that he's living his life without Christ, he's going to hell. And later she became a Christian. I don't know if it was from that, but she became a Christian. And God is still the old man upstairs. So annoying. But we pray for joy. <laughs> but pray for them. <laughs> anyway, but if we look at how God, Jesus used Peter, he became the mighty preacher on the day of Pentecost and won 3,000 people to the Lord as the Holy Spirit worked in their lives. And he became one of the leaders in the church. He became a writer of two of the great books of the New Testament. One and two Peter books full of optimism, courage, faith and hope. So it's obvious from the way that Jesus looks at us. That he can change us and use us. Amen. I will end with a story. There was a, a man. <laughs> uh, it's a story from Margaret Slattery's book, Living Teachers, that tells of a community where a stranger came to settle and to practice law. And he buried himself in his legal work and he was really busy and but sometimes when people saw him walking through the community they saw that he was distressed he walked with his head down he had mental anguish on his face and he wasn't a happy camper and one day he was introduced to a new friend a local artist and in confidence he poured out his heart to this artist, revealing the deep, dark sin that had stained his past and was destroying his sin. The artist said nothing, but parted from him and went into his studio. Weeks later, the artist called him and said, Come, I've just finished painting a portrait. It's my masterpiece and I want you to see it. So the man was surprised and pleased that his judgment had been sought by the artist. And when he went into the studio and he viewed this portrait, he looked at it and he was surprised because it was a portrait of himself. Only now he stood erect and with his shoulders thrown back, his head up, ambition, desire and hope written on his face. The lawyer stared at the portrait in silence for a few moments. Then with tears streaming down his face, he said, <coughs> If you see that in me, then I see it in myself. If you think I can be that kind of a man, then I can be, and what is more, I will be. God sees the potential in you and me and he wants to unleash that potential amen so give him the opportunity and allow him to work in your life and god will do mighty things in our in our lives I've seen it so often in people that have totally committed their hearts and minds to Christ, their lives to Christ. Don't hold on to your life, man. Make you miserable. Let Him take hold of you and send you on an adventure with Him. And I really love that portion of Scripture in Genesis where it says, Enoch walked with God. I believe that we can walk with God. Amen. And that God wants to use us and love us. So let's pray and trust the Lord to keep revealing Himself to us and leading us. Father, we love You. Thank You for loving us.
Thank you for making it possible to know you and to walk with you. <coughs> Thank you, Lord, that you see potential in us and that you want to do something with our lives. We might not be Peter at Pentecost, but we can be whoever we are, wherever you want us to be. And that will bring great joy and great fulfillment, Lord. And so we come and we yield. And we ask you to reveal yourself in Jesus' name. Amen.